Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Are you sick and tired of professional development that isn't relevant to you in the field as being a school-based SLP or an SLP that works with school-aged children? I hear you. I've been there too. I've sat through countless amounts of professional development where I walked away saying, that was great if I worked with one student or that would be great if X, Y, and Z. And that is why I created the Speech Retreat Conference. And I'm so excited to let you know that tickets are on sale now for our July 17th Speech Retreat. You don't want to miss this amazing professional development that has provided practical and relevant information for school-based SLPs for the last couple of years. Join the thousands of other SLPs tuning in each time we provide sessions that are hand-selected based on your preferences and your requests. We're going to be talking all about literacy-based for older students, life skills for high school kids, working with the special ed team, pushing in, IEPs and goal writing, and so much more. So get excited and head on over to speechretreat.com to grab your ticket today. You don't want to miss out because we are already giving away tons of prizes in our exclusive Facebook group. So don't wait, Join, sign up right away so you can join that Facebook group and join in on the fun and celebrate being an awesome SLP that you are and get ready to learn so much information on July 17th. Can't tune in live? Make sure you sign up ahead of time so you get access to all of the recordings. You can only get access to it if you sign up beforehand. So make sure you head to speechretreat.com to grab your ticket today. Now on to today's episode. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I'm the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, 
This podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I'm so excited for today's guest because it's a topic that I'm always eager to learn more about since I work with a lot of English language learners. And today I have Sophia Almeida. Okay. I just, we just went over this and I'm like, oh my God, I got to get this right. And Sophia is from So Sophia Speech and she's going to be talking all about working with bilingual students and English language learners and tips for us monolingual speech therapists in that position. So Sophia, welcome to the show. Introduce yourself. Who are you? Tell us about your SLP journey. Yay, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. I'm so excited. So yeah, so I started my speech page recently. I want to say, so I'm two years into the field. So I want to say that I started it about when I started in the field. So yeah, let's say two years ago. And it's just been booming now. It's so exciting to be a part of this community. I'm like shocked, not shocked. I'm so happy that people are very friendly within the community and they want to learn more. Like mm -hmm. it's not about just putting out content. Like everyone's establishing connections connections and keeping up with each other like I love all of my insta friends I, it's <laughs> a great great community but I live here in New York and um, I am a bilingual therapist and I do therapy in Portuguese and Spanish so I learned yeah <laughs> I learned Portuguese first which is I'm from Portugal and my parents instilled the language in me they firmly believe that it is so important to be a bilingual member of society like that any language you learn is going to take you so far even if it's just it's not very common Portuguese isn't very common at least I mean I don't know do you know a lot of Portuguese people no <laughs> you're the first <laughs> there, there's we're big but we're I think if you're involved or if you're aware of Portuguese people you'll find them it's <laughs> I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be searching now I'm just kidding <laughs> But I, it's very similar to Spanish. So I learned, I learned Portuguese as a child. My dad only spoke to us in Portuguese. My mom spoke to us in Portuguese, but she's a high school teacher. So she eventually just stuck to English with us. <laughs> and then the Portuguese actually helped me learn Spanish. And it was great. And, you know, and it's true, very true. What they say is that you have to use the language in order to learn it. Because everyone kind of learns high school Spanish. So, you know, the basic, they don't really. Como esta? Like, that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. Not a lot. Not a lot. And then very basic vocabulary. The island Spanish, because I worked in a mall at Children's Place of all places. And there we had a lot of Hispanics coming in. A lot of people spoke Spanish. And there, that's when I really, truly learned Spanish. Like I was using it all the time. Numbers, how are you? Every, like you name it, everything about clothing, clothing stuff. Like I would have to go home and look things up because sometimes I wouldn't know. And then my secret, my secret was that I would sometimes mix in Portuguese but like use it with a Spanish accent and sometimes it would work sometimes the word would be correct because we're very similar but sometimes it wouldn't be correct and I just had to try to play it off <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome that you got yourself to learn to help yourself with work and now here you are able to use this skill yeah. for your now profession what made you become a speech pathologist so funny story. I don't have, I wish I had like a really cool story. I really do. But my story is just like, my mom is a special education teacher and she, I wanted to be a school's teacher at first. And my mom's like, hmm, why don't you look into speech therapy? I've heard that's pretty cool. And there's a lot of openings there. So mm -hmm. once I looked into it, I was like, oh, this is it. Ding, ding, ding. And as soon as I entered into undergrad to get my bachelor's, I just signed right up for that major. 
And in New York, it's kind of hard, I think. Like, mm-hmm. I went to Queens College, and you actually had to apply for the major, and you had to be approved for it. Same in, same in Buffalo. I went to Buffalo for undergrad. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's def- it depends on where right. you are at, but definitely in New York, bilingual speech therapists are very, very needed and very mm-hmm. utilized. Can you tell everyone listening, what is one thing, one major tip or advice you would give to a monolingual speech therapist who ha- is working with a English language learner and like where to start when it comes so to I feel, ha- I feel like especially being in New York I feel like I'm sometimes feel like a monolingual speech therapist only because there's so many languages where we are like there's not just I mean Spanish is very popular but there are so many other languages and when I'm in a situation like that my best bet is to try to go you know don't fake it don't faking it to make it it's sometimes not going to work in speech therapy especially (laughs) with bilingual therapy it will not work but it's good to own up to it and do your research and parents appreciate it when you do your research you can say like okay no I'm not familiar with this language I'm not absolutely sure what I'm doing but I will look it up Asha has so many resources to tell you for example what sounds that Spanish speakers the or the errors that Spanish speakers are going to make and that can be across the board for all languages so I have a patient now two patients because they're brothers and sister brother and sister and they speak I think it's Bengali and I know I'm going to be doing my research in order to find out what type of speech sound errors they're making and how that contributes to their English language so I definitely feel that don't be ashamed that you don't speak the language, but I think it's very helpful to just do your research so you can better help that patient. Because even mm-hmm. though if they're not qualified for bilingual services, I think it's great to have that knowledge on how their primary language affects their secondary language. So just research, research, research. And that's really what our field is across the board for all type therapy and disorders. Like it's everything. We always have to keep doing research in order to better our skills. Now, I know that in order to build on language two, you need to have that framework in language one. But mm-hmm. as a monolingual speech therapist, I can't build on language one. So what advice would you give to someone like me? So I would try <laughs> to work very closely with the family. The family definitely going to help you. But what I found now during the pandemic is that my, you really need, like, if you're signed up to be a bilingual speech therapist, you need to know your language, because now I'm communicating with the parent, and most likely the parent knows even less of the second language than their child, so I, I do want to say to work closely with the family, because you do want to provide them with those resources, so that they can provide the intervention strategies for the child when they're at home, because I feel like, yeah, we don't know their primary language, but I think it's helpful to have all the material translated to then provide it for the parents to then do it at home. So I guess my biggest advice would just be to provide all of those materials as much as you can to make it as easy as possible for the client or the student or whoever it may be. I feel like, you know, it could be, it's even more difficult, I think, with adult patients because, you know, they've had that primary language forever now and it's kind of hard to try to build on that secondary language. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very important to use a translator when necessary. I know in New York, that the hospitals have like the phone services to help with translation. I think you definitely need to take advantage of that if your facility provides that because Mm -hmm. you don't wanna lose anything lost in translation and you wanna provide the best type of therapy for your patient as well. So, so true. And I know for me, I found going to my bilingual educatorism, my building being like, hey, what are you working on in Spanish with them? I will 
tap into that in English or keep working on that in Spanish and just use uh, utilizing the resources around you if you know when necessary and when able and, and use utilizing reports and information right. gathered. Exactly. A lot of my coworkers, they also find themselves with some, so I work in a preschool, so it's a lot, a little bit easier in a way where you're working on more basic language. Mm -hmm. So my coworkers are learning the other, the primary language just as much as the kid is. So like they're teaching them like basic, basic language, like I want and in in their primary language. So you're kind of, you know, you have to learn a little bit in order to help your client the best, you know, and sometimes you don't have all these resources, like sometimes the hospitals do like the translator. So at schools, it, it does get very, difficult with that. Google, Google Google Translate goes, Siri, translate this for me. I have done that. But be careful. And I will put the disclaimers. There's so many dialects and stuff that like, you can't just assume like whatever Siri says or Google says is the answer for your person in front of you. Right. I completely agree. And specifically in Spanish, there's so many dialects, so many different ways to say certain words. And if anything, I'm learning that now too, because of the pandemic, I'm literally working with the parent, the parent's like, oh no, we say it this way. So then I have to change that word now. And like Mm -hmm. my brain is constantly figuring out different words because of the different amounts of Spanish. But you know, I'm very grateful for my bilingual families. Like they are amazing. And I don't want to scare any bilingual therapists away, but we need you we need them so badly and but I just really want to make sure that people understand that you really do need to know the language and at least a little bit about the culture because you are working with the families you want to make them feel comfortable and a lot of times with the bilingual families they don't feel comfortable and you become that you know, you break down that barrier for them. Like at at my school, we don't have that many Spanish speaking employees. And so a lot of times I'm the translator for the parents and they confide in me the most rather than sometimes the teacher because of the fact that I speak that common language with them. And they feel comfortable. Yeah. So we need, we need that. And I think the pandemic really helps establish relationships with the families. I mean, I'm sure you agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're in their living room. I see what's going on. And sometimes they're a lot of the times they're coming more to speech than in other, maybe not other therapies, but sometimes more than in the classroom almost. Mm -hmm. They love speech. (laughs) Hey, it's it's fun, right? Especially the young young ones. When they get older, it's a little bit more challenging. They'd rather be playing, they'd rather be playing Fortnite and Among Us like than 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 logging onto my Google Meet. You touched upon this and I'd like you to go into a little bit more about the multicultural mindset like when working with bilingual students. So yeah, I, I firmly believe that we need that multicultural aspect in our therapy because it's, once again, it's not about the language. You're trying to connect and build a relationship with the families and the client. You know, the multicultural mindset, and we should definitely build on that now because we need to become more aware that not everyone is like us. We have to acknowledge that everyone has different traits, different cultures, different habits, and we have to begin to accept it. You have to become aware that everyone is different and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And by establishing that multicultural mindset, you become more, there's a specific word for it, but now I'm blinking, but Mm -hmm. you're becoming more just, I don't want to say aware again, but you know, you, you're just, hmm. This one's- it's okay. It's okay. I, I get it. And I think everyone yeah. listening gets what you mean. Like, but you being aware, you're being, it's, you're conscious. Like, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, yeah, and being aware, like even the toys and the books that you bring right. in, do you have any favorite, like 
books that you like to use with your Spanish speaking oh, students? I love, I like, I like the most simplest books because those have less words on it and I can easily translate it. Like Dear Zoo. Oh, that's my favorite one because words on animals. I know the animals and a lot of people know the animals in different languages and it's working on open, closed, Yes, no, and deer zoo. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with mm-hmm. deer zoo. They don't want the animal because it's either too loud or too scary or something like that. So you're saying, no, 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 I don't want it. No is very similar and very and a lot of languages. So I love using that book. That literally is my favorite one. But I like that you said that we have to become more aware about toys in the houses because when the pandemic started, a lot of the families, well, I work in Queens, so there's a lot of minorities there, and they don't have the funds that a lot of families have, and I, you know, and it broke my heart to see, like, I, sometimes I would ask for, like, a marker or something, and they wouldn't have a marker, they'd have a highlighter, so that literally broke mm-hmm. my heart, because you have to become aware of that, too, so me and my co-workers definitely established activities where it was no print, didn't require a lot of materials, it was very easy things that they can do at home on their phones, because most likely, sometimes they didn't even have devices, they had to order them through the school, we were just trying to make it as less demanding on the family so that there was more of an outcome and more ability to complete the speech therapy work you know Mm -hmm. so so it's true just being very aware of who you're working with and how you can help them totally totally can you discuss like positive attributes for like bilingualism oh there's so many I know I know (laughs) because I know there's that big like stigma like oh they should only be you know stop one language focus on the other especially a student with speech and language needs like can you go into like helping us SLPs educate our families or answer those questions when other educators say like they should not be they should be just focusing on one language and things like that I think a lot of SLPs are getting really good with this because I guess there's so much information and we're always posting it on Instagram and on social media because that's really where we're learning a lot and that's kind of where it gets hard sometimes too because we're learning from social media but I definitely want to say that drive it home that two languages does not confuse a child. It does not confuse them because if anything, it helps build the elasticity in their brain and make it more like, you know, it really moves the cognitive functions in their brain because it helps them process things differently because you are processing two different languages. It does not confuse them, you know? And this is a great example that I've been telling a lot of people is that let's say a child has 20 words, right? It can mean that he has 12 words in English and eight words in the other language. And that combined together, it's 20 words. It's 20 words regardless. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to start telling the parents that no, it does not confuse them. It just means that they may have some words in one language and some words in the other. And we need to present them with both languages for full comprehension and to help them with communication. And that's something I really want to drive home. And I think all bilingualism, bilingual, bilingual therapists drive home too. Love it. Love it. Love it. Do you have any other favorite activities that you'd like to use to use with the population you work with? So I, like I said, I work with preschool. So all my preschoolers, which is so cute. Anything like a, with remote therapy, I had to become very, very, very creative. So I would, I love, love, love to use music. I love to use videos. You know, sometimes and parents ask me like, is it okay for them to use the iPad or to watch TV? I agree that there should be a limit, but when it's used in an educational manner, I think it's okay. Because especially with my preschoolers, it was hard to grasp their attention sometimes. And so sometimes I would have to resort
resort to their favorite cartoon, but we would use it in a very educational manner. And we, I would stop the video, work on more, I want more to, to make the video play. We would comment on what was happening in the scene. There's so many different ways to try to use that. But with bilingualism, you can, and with bilingual students, you can literally use about anything, but I would just try to make it appropriate. Like maybe two weeks ago, we were working on fairy tales. So I was trying to find the three little pigs in English and the three little pigs in Spanish. So Los Tres Cerditos. So it was just great. Like there's so many resources online. Like online is like a magical place now that you can use it can translate just about anything. You can find so many resources in Spanish. So it's great. Sesame Street, they have a bunch of games in Spanish. I love Sesame Street. It was great. But yeah, I think there's a lot out there that you can use for bilingual students and across the board. And I even found a whole bunch of like free boom cards that like yeah. were basic like school supplies naming in Spanish. And it was like, I, I didn't have to reinvent any wheels. Like oh, I was able wow. to use this, that to make, get like thematic vocabulary in both right. for both languages like I was able to use the same my English stuff and then that for Spanish and then you can learn from that too because the resources have the words in Spanish to tell your child your student and you could just literally read it off of the boom cards there's so many creators now too who make products in Spanish or use and it in both languages as well so so true is there one or two key differences in the languages like that someone should be aware of that it's not a delay it is a difference and things like that so to, I guess prime example would be a lot would be the the syntax so like in English our syntax is for example I like apples or some yeah let's work with that I like apples and in Spanish it well actually no let me take that back that's not about it because yeah, that's take object, say, yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean. subject verb object that's how it is in English and in Spanish it's completely opposite it's subject object verb I have to I have to make sure that I'm saying this yeah because in English you say I run I run to the park Hold on. Like even like like how many like it's like right. instead of how old are you it's like how many years are like right. so años. yes the syntax is completely different the grammar is completely different and we need to acknowledge that because sometimes the bilingual students will try to translate automatically from their primary language into English and it'll come out completely backwards so it's not disorder it's more just that it's a language difference there so a lot of the times it's that it's the syntax it's the the word order. And yeah. even like articulation wise, like there's no, yeah. there's no V in exactly. Spanish. So like, right. it's not that they can't say it, it's, they, it's not in their repertoire. Like, right. And a lot of the times, a lot of their words end in vowel. So you also have to think about that. So a lot of, a lot of it is also speech sound. And that's on ASHA, they have so many things there that tell you exactly what to look for to make sure it's a difference and not a disorder. So yeah, I, I find that like, we need to be really aware of these differences because some of these students can get misdiagnosed if we're not that familiar with what is no, the norm. And I agree. And that's the thing, like a lot of the times, I don't think people realize it, but you, know, you just have to be more aware of what's happening, especially since you and I live in such a diverse area. Like I think that we need a lot of the therapists in this area need to become more aware that it can most definitely be different and not a disorder. And, you know, it's just something that, needs to be driven and needs to be focused on a lot of the time especially with older students i feel because mm -hmm. with younger students it's a little bit easier to tell if it's a language difference rather than a disorder with the older students it's a little bit harder because they have more language so or at least that's how i look at it mm -hmm. i don't really work with older students though so that's why i'm like i don't know <laughs> see and that was going to come up to my next point like there is evidence that it takes what 
seven to nine years to be fully immersed in what the Bix and the Kelps. Right. So, so it, we have to be aware, like I know in my district, we want to wait three years of the student being in the country before we even evaluate them because it could be oh. mm -hmm. the language learning and or a silent period or all that fun stuff. Right. Can you talk about that a little bit about just being what to be aware of? Yeah, so I feel like a lot of the times, so when that does happen, so like I said, I only work with, I work more with preschool students, but I feel like with older students, we it's a little bit more difficult, I guess, to just try to figure out, okay, where does the difference lie and when can it be considered a disorder? Because also in high school, you work on more like higher academic skills as well. So it's a little bit more different. So yeah, and then a lot of the times, like you mentioned the Bex and the, the Cup. So the Bex is, um, Man, Bas basic communications, like basic like conversation skills. Right. Yeah. And then the CALPS is like the cognitive, so more academic right. language, like to be able to right. get that. Right. So what my mom, my mom is, a, I said, she's a high school special education teacher in a school that actually has a lot of, a lot of the students that are coming in are students that just recently entered the country. So she also has that difficulty because a lot of times the teachers are like, no, 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 they belong to special ed. They belong to special ed. Meanwhile, it could just be a difference rather than a disorder. And a lot of the times the children, yeah, the children and the students who are coming from the other countries, sometimes they may not even have any academic skills because maybe they didn't even go to school. And that's the difficult, the, the difficulty that my mom finds is because of that, that they never have that academic skills. And then finally, they're being thrown into it because here in the United States, we value academics so much and we want children to be immersed in that, uh, like in the school and education. And so sometimes it could be like a huge culture shock for the child. And you're trying to just catch them up to speed. But meanwhile, we have to realize that a lot of their cultural aspects can be affecting their academic and their communication skills. And they can only possibly have basic communication in that primary language as well. So the bilingual field is very, very complicated. And, <laughs> and that's why we need you. <laughs> yeah, we want to be here. <laughs> Anything last that you want to share that you feel everyone should know about when it comes to working with bilingual students, English language learners? So I just really want to let, I want everyone to just really make sure that parents understand that two languages do not, do not affect the child at all. And we want to promote bilingual education and, and learning two languages because that, you know, that actually takes part into your identity. And I really think it's part of my identity to be at this point trilingual because now I speak Portuguese and Spanish and English. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it really contributes to one's identity and to take that away, that's not fair either. So I think we need to become more culturally aware of all types of cultures, all types of languages, and just be more accepting of it as well. Because this is what America is all about. This is what the world is all about. We're all one melting pot. And it's just something that we really need to acknowledge, be aware, and just be conscious about it. I love it. And as from my aspect, as a monolingual speech therapist, working with a lot of bilingual students, I will share to not be afraid of asking for help, whether it is Siri, mm -hmm. Google, or a colleague, or, yeah. or, or on social media, Facebook groups and things like that. There's so many places where you can ask questions and say, is this a difference? Is this a disorder? Where do you recommend I start with this student? There's so many people that you can ask where you don't have to feel like you're so alone in this 
situation in this crazy, 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 world. crazy world. But I completely agree. And most likely all bilingual therapists want to help you because we want the field to expand more because this is such a great and important part of our crazy world of speech therapy. But I, we are more than happy to answer any questions at all. And I'm here if anybody needs anything too. And as I was just about to ask, where can people find you to learn more about you and what you have to offer? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and on Facebook, So Sophia Speech. Come find me there. Ask me any questions. I'm an open book. I love to talk. Clearly, I could talk all day, all night. <laughs> so, Occupational hazard, right? We all have. <laughs> yes, I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Please, please, please message me and follow me. I'm more than happy to be Insta friends with everybody. <laughs> and we'll put links in the show notes. So not to worry. So people can head on over there on speechtimefun.com to go check that out. And I always end my episodes with a joke because jokes are funny and they're built with so much language and can build so much to learn from them. So what what kind of keys do kids like to carry? Oh, what kind of keys do kids like to carry? Hit me. Cookies. Oh my God, that's so good. <laughs> that's- ching. I'll be here all day, guys. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding, because I am ending this episode. So you can go into work or stop walking the dog or whatever you are doing right now. And until next week, every Monday, I am here providing you that jolt of inspiration you need. Stay out of trouble. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun, and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.